A person who worries all the time, he is out of focus. A person who worries all the time, he's self-centered. His heart is not on the things of God. You tell me someone who never shares his faith, never spends time alone with God, never spends time in prayer, and I will show you a person who typically is filled with worry. But God is saying, you focus on my business, and I'll take care of your concerns. When you focus on the kingdom of God, God is going to meet your needs. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a series of special messages that were delivered by Dr. Brogy, and today's message is part three of his sermon, Overcoming Worry and Fear. We are in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter six, looking at three principles of how to overcome worry and fear by questioning our treasure, vision, and service. Please join us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, as we continue. And so it is unnecessary to worry about something that God, your Father, is already aware of. But not only is it unnecessary, it is unworthy. It betrays a false view of what life is really about. So Jesus asks a very penetrating question here in verse 25. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Yes, it is. You see what he's asking? If people are just bodies that need to be fed, watered, clothed, and housed, if we're like machines that just need to be protected, lubricated, and fueled, then a preoccupation with food and drink and clothing would be totally justified. And of course, that is precisely the pagan philosophy of his day and more and more the pagan philosophy of our day. If God didn't create us, if God is not our father, either in a creative way or in a spiritual way, if we've just evolved out of the glue into the zoo, that became you, you're some advanced two-legged monkey, then you ought to be totally consumed with these things. But we live in a day where people just live to live, to eat, drink, and be merry. But that is a reductionist view of life that is so contrary to the Word of God. And so the great majority of advertisements are really directed towards the body, whether it's underwear to display it its best, cosmetics to dress it up, deodorants and perfumes to smell it up, alcohol to drug it up, to drunk it up, exotic vacations to rest it up. But Jesus is simply asking, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We need not worry because there's a whole lot more to life than food and clothing. And since you have decided, if you're saved, to have God as your Father and to follow Him and to serve Him and not the things of this world, will not God who created you, who rebirthed you, sustain you for the purposes that He has for you? Yes, He will. God is pro-life, and even after the fall, God, God put an immune system in us because he's in favor of life. And so the first cause of worry that Jesus gives is rooted in a distorted view of the lesser things of life. Jesus is saying, you don't need to live like the pagan because there's a whole lot more to life than food and drink and clothing. But Jesus now gives a second cause as to why people worry. Not only do they have a distorted view of the lesser things of life, but also due to a distorted view of their own worth before God. 
Worry, in essence, denies your own worth before God. And to illustrate it, Jesus turns to the subhuman aspect of God's creation. He uses the bird as an illustration for food, and he uses flour as an illustration for God's provision for clothing. Now, please underline, if you haven't already, the word look or behold, depending on your translation, in verse 26. And then in verse 28, the word observe or consider in verse 28. You see, in both cases, again, Jesus is asking us to think about God's providential loving care. And I can tell you why some of you, even as Christians, are anxious and worried on the inside. Because you're spending more time reading and watching the news than you are in God's holy book. You're spending more of your life consumed with sports and social media and complaining than you are putting your heart and soul into the word of God. So yes, you're going to worry because as a man thinks in his heart, so he's going to become. So look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air that they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Look at the birds. Again, it's a command in Greek. Fix your eyes on the birds. Get a good look. Look carefully. They neither reap nor do they gather into barns. They don't harvest their crops and then gather them into big silos. And yet, your heavenly father feeds them. And I should say parenthetically, that while the birds do not worry, they do work. They don't sit in their nests and wait God for God to drop a worm in them. They have to go out and scratch for each one. And even so, you don't just say, Lord, feed me. God expects us to work. He doesn't just drop money in our bank accounts. And so just as God provides the means for the birds in his creation, so he will give you strength and breath and ability to get out and earn your own living. So Jesus is not teaching that we should not work. He is teaching that we should not worry. Now think about the birds. They can't stir up, store up their worms. They have no refrigeration to put their fish in a safe place. And so to illustrate how to deal with worry, he doesn't turn to the ants. He turns to the birds of the sky. They have no guarantee of tomorrow. They don't wake up in the morning knowing where their next worm's going to come from yet they're not worried. They somehow know they'll be taken care of. God meets the needs of the birds. He brings the bird and the worm somehow providentially together. And so he asks the penetrating question, are you not worth much more than they? And of course, the answer is absolutely yes. It's irrefutable logic going from the lesser to the greater, a principle that's rooted all the way through Scripture. If God takes care of the birds and you are much more important than a bird, won't he take care of you? I mean, if a farmer feeds his chickens, won't he feed his children? Of course he will. And you have not just a creator like the bird, you have a heavenly father. They are his creatures. If you're born again and receive Christ, he's given you the power, the right, the exousia, the authority to become what you weren't before, a child of God. There's no salvation, there's no redemption for the birds. But God takes care of them 365 days a year, including Christmas. So there are two causes of worry. A warped view of what life really is, 
and a warped view of our own worth before God. And so the Lord now goes on to help us to understand the cost of worry, and worry is a very costly thing. He reminds us that it accomplishes nothing. Look at verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Worrying will not make your life longer. If anything, it will make it shorter. You know, some people somehow think that they're accomplishing something when they worry, like the lady who said, don't tell me that worrying doesn't do any good. Most of the things I worry about never happen. (laughs) Well, it's well been said there are two kinds of problems that you face that we should worry about. Those problems that we can do something about and those problems that we cannot do anything about. So if you can do something about it, then do it. And if you can't, then Jesus says, don't worry about it. And who of you, verse 27, who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Worry never drives a tear. Worry never lifted a burden. Worry never solved a problem. So worry accomplishes nothing. But then secondly, Jesus reminds us that worry demonstrates a lack of faith. Look now at verse 28 and 29. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like one of these. The lilies out there in the meadow, they do not toil like the farmer does in the field, nor do the lilies go to a sewing class. And yet every first century reader of this text, they made their own clothes literally like the Proverbs 31 woman. They don't spin like the woman who works diligently in her home, making clothes, and yet God provides for them. And Jesus said they're more decked out than one of Israel's richest men, Solomon. So he argues further in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive tomorrow and thrown in the furnace, they would take grass and it would be like kindling and it would, you know, like putting a a kindling piece of wood in your fire to make it spark up or some small little twigs. It was just a quick way to get those coals aflame again. If it's just alive today and then used for kindling, If God dresses up the common grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Oh my, that's convicting. You of little faith. So Jesus now moves from the birds of the sky to the flowers of the fields to teach us that God can be counted on and faith is important. Faith says, I believe your promises, Lord God. I trust that you will meet all of my riches according to my needs in Christ Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. In addition, Paul said in Romans 14 and verse 23, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Look, worry is not a weakness. It's a wickedness. It's sin. And we need to deal with it for what it is. It needs to be confessed and repented over. And until we face worry for what it is, we'll never meet victory. And so first, worry accomplishes nothing. Secondly, worry demonstrates a lack of faith. But third, it's the lifestyle, not of a believer, but of a pagan. Look now, beginning in verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the ta'ethne, 
The word Gentile in the New Testament is used sometimes in deference to a Jew, someone who is not a descendant of Abraham. But very often in Scripture, it's used of a synonym for a pagan because most of the Gentiles in Christ's day were idolatrous, hardcore pagans who had suppressed the truth that God had given in creation and in conscience, and they become idolaters. And so he said, don't pray earlier like the pagans, like the ethne, the Gentiles. And here he says, for the Gentiles, the pagans, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. The Gentiles, the people of this world, those who have never met Christ in a saving, regenerate way. That's the way they live. But not so with you. Why? Your heavenly Father knows that you need. Circle those words, you need. He knows that you need all these things. We are thinking and acting like a pagan, not like someone who has a father who's in heaven. And worry is a wound to the heart of God, it's an insult to who he really is. It's a denial, not of his sovereignty. There's a difference in scripture between sovereignty. It is, a, it, it is an insult to his providence. His daily care over the everything, everyday things of life. And Jesus is telling us when we are worried, we're not living like a child of God. Your heavenly father knows that you need these things. Do you know whose child you are? On another occasion, on a different day, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, he's saying God's oversight, his providence is so intense, we don't need to worry. On the one hand, he carefully sees everything that is going on in your home and in your life right now. On the other hand, he reminds us that to be worried and to be free from trouble is not the same. He does not tell us that a sparrow will not fall to the ground. And neither does he say that you will have no trouble in this life. But he does say that none of it will happen apart from his providential knowledge and consent and care. God tells us he attends the funeral of every sparrow. And when you face trials in this virus, erotic world of sorts, God is there with you. He says in verse 30 of that chapter, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows things about you that you don't even know about yourself. He knows the exact number of hairs that are on your head. They're all numbered. Therefore, he says, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus wants us to renew our minds. Get your mind off of the social media page this week and spend a little more time in the word of God. I'm not against social media. We're using it for the kingdom of God. But get your mind out of that 24-7. Read through the whole Bible this year. Start having time alone with God and in his presence. It's critical to being cured from worry and so we read in verse 33 here of chapter 6 of Matthew 6 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in all these things food clothing drink your needs will be added to you a person who worries all the time he is out of focus a person who worries all the he's self-centered his heart is not on the things of God. You tell me someone who never shares his faith, never spends time alone with God, never spends time in prayer, and I will show you a person who typically is filled with worry. But God is saying, you focus on my business, and I'll take care of your concerns. When you focus on the kingdom of God, 
God is going to meet your needs. I want to ask you this morning, do you care about the things that God really cares about? Are you investing in your local church? Do you even go to church? Sitting in a church will not make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage will make you an automobile. Millions of lost people go to church every Sunday. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. But once you are born again, God calls you to go to a church where the pastor actually opens the Bible like we're doing this morning and feeds you with truth because the Bible is milk, meat, honey, bread. It is food to grow your soul and to make you more and more like Christ. And so he wants us to keep our focus on his kingdom the things that matter to God and his righteousness, having our character shaped more and more into the likeness of Christ, which happens as you renew your mind with scripture and in holy dependence and in prayer, you ask God to make the things you are reading true in your heart. And then he says in verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care about itself. All worry is essentially about the future. It's about tomorrow. But worry is experienced right now, this moment, today. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't borrow trouble. Just remember, God will take care of the things that you cannot handle because he loves you and he cares for you. Now, we all want the product. We don't want someone to look at our life and say, oh, he's a worry word. He's, he's always whining and crying and complaining and some crisis hits the country and he's shook to the core. We don't want that if we know Christ. But we don't always want the process. And Jesus is exhorting us, and he reminds us each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust me for today, because my grace will be sufficient for today. And when you drag the future into today, three things will happen, and you might want to jot these down by way of application. There in your outline, number one. First, worry will blind you to God's blessings. If you worry, you will blind yourself to the blessings that God has given you today because you're consumed with tomorrow. You won't really be a thankful thing. And many who are listening to me today, one, you're an American. Two, you've got fine health. Most people listening still have a job. You may have a spouse. You may have very healthy, wonderful children and grandchildren. Look, I've been to parts of the other world, some 60 countries where people beg the opportunity to come to America. They dream about coming to this nation. God bless this nation beyond any other nation in the world, maybe apart from Israel. Why? Because we put him first in our founding days. For 150 years, we led in taking the gospel to the world. Not every American, but the evangelical church did. And God had every reason to prosper America. Very often, God blesses a, the people around a person. God blessed the people around Joseph. And God blessed America around the evangelical church. Why? Because we're taking the gospel, the most important thing in God's heart, to the whole world. But I want to tell you, when you worry, you will not see God's blessings. You'll be so consumed with your problems that you're missing the blessings of what you have today. Secondly, worry will drain you of your God-given strength. Worry will drain you of your God-given strength. 
the Lord is teaching that worry is not just useless, it's harmful. It's like sugar in your gas tank. It's like sand and a fine piece of machinery. It will wear you down. It will wear you out. King David said this in Psalm 103, verse 14. For he, Yahweh, knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. God who knows you best in everything about you, who wove you together in your mother's womb, he knows what you can bear. You know, when we talk about the, uh, a truck, what it can bear, we, we read it as one ton or two ton or ten ton, and that obviously is not the weight of the truck. It's what that truck is designed to carry. The manufacturer who made the frame knows precisely what that frame can bear. And God is saying, he knows your frame. He knows exactly what you can bear this morning. But worry will overload you today with tomorrow's problems. It will break down the springs of life. Your spiritual truck, when it's filled with worry, will begin to fall apart, and you'll be driven by things instead of seeking God. Third and finally, worry will keep many people out of heaven. Worry will keep many people out of heaven. Now, certainly for the born-again Christian, who holds on so tight to the things, to the concerns and, of this world that consume him, he will break fellowship with God and he may spend decades wasting his life on vain, foolish things. Why? Because when you are consumed with things in this world only, you have broken fellowship with God. The spirit who lives in you will not fill you and you'll miss his instruction through the Holy Scripture and his direction as he unfolds his plan for your life. And that's bad for the Christian. But I want to remind you, it will keep many people out of the kingdom of God. Do you remember what Jesus told in the parable of the sower? It's a parable that has been greatly abused. Some say, well, the first is the unsaved person, the next two soils the carnal Christian, and the fourth soil is the spirit-filled Christian. Some popular writer who sold millions of books, no sense in me dragging up his name. That was his position. That's just wrong. That's not even close to what the text teaches. He's giving in the first three soils, three kinds of people who never enter into the kingdom of God if they pursue with those problems. And he says this of the thorny soil. Let me read it from Luke's account. It's found in all synoptics. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and they go on their way. They are choked with the worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. There are people all over America today who are worried. And for some of the people who are worried today, because things have become their idol. They will never see the inside of God's kingdom. Now understand, that's not God's desire. God takes no pleasure, this scripture says, even in the death of the wicked. God wishes for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God desires all men to be saved. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's not God up in heaven. You're going to heaven, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. That's gross reformed error in our day. It is evil, it is false teaching, it is wrong. No, God looks down and he sees millions, billions of people and he desires all men to go to heaven, but he will not save all because he's given everyone a free will 
And so we must decide. God says, listen, the wages of sin is death. The penalty is death. You can't do anything if you've murdered and are worthy of death to satisfy the law if the law says you must die. But God who set the penalty so loved the world he gave his son to pay the penalty. And if you will come as a bankrupt sinner and exchange your sin that is evil and wrong and needs to be forgiven in exchange exchange for his righteousness, he will write your name in the book of life. He'll place the Holy Spirit in you where you won't just be religious, you'll be born again. Everything will change. And now you will be in a position where you can grow and mature and become the kind of person that God designed you to be. You say, I'm not sure what that means. You should tune in at 5.30 tonight when we do our Meet the Pastor. We'll not only have it in here for around 10 people who show up at the door, but we'll live stream it. We had a couple that drove all the way from Pooler, Georgia last week who received Christ last Sunday night because they wanted to get this issue settled in their hearts. And if you're not sure that if this were your last day, I saw this morning in the news a 34-year-old man in the prime of health who four days ago came down with the virus and this morning he's dead. You say, that won't happen to me. It can happen to anyone. And we need to be ready to meet God. Today is the day of salvation. You can be forgiven today if you will call upon Christ to be your Savior. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Wherever you may be, I want to invite you there in the quietness of your heart, if you've never met Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you have been a member of a church, maybe you've been baptized, maybe you're a highly religious person, but there's only one way to heaven. There's salvation in no one else, no other name by which you can be saved. And God says, because Jesus didn't die for most or part of your sin, but all of it, if you're willing to admit sin is sin, something that needs to be forgiven and changed, If you will call on Christ's name, he'll save you right now. Whoever will call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Would you say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I deserve eternal death. But thank you that you came and bore the penalty for my sin. You promised that if I would receive your gift, something you said that is not earned, but like with all gifts are received, that if I would receive the gift of God, which is eternal life, you would forgive me and save me today. Knowing that you cannot lie, I ask you, Lord Jesus, save me. My friend, if you prayed that prayer, go to communitybiblechurch.us and you text 94090 and you can fill out a visitor's card there and you can tell us that you received Christ. Let us know. CBC US, text it to 94090. Now, Father, for the rest of us who have met you in a true saving way, help us in these days to be distinctly different from the pagans around us. Help us not to be overrun with the news such that it is crowding out the truth of your word in our heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Pastor Carl reminds us, worry accomplishes nothing. More importantly, worry is not the lifestyle of a believer. We must deal with worry as sin, and until we face worry for what it is, we will never meet victory. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 877- 
787-787-7478 and requesting program OWF020. Remember, you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.